Welcome to the Talking Transformation podcast, presented to you from Cape Town here in the Western Cape, South Africa. The podcast is presented with a view to providing a platform and voice for built environment professionals and interest groups who are working towards transforming the places and spaces here in South Africa. It's dedicated to the individuals and community groups who are supporting both the formal and informal processes that are shaping our cities and our spaces. Welcome to this episode of the Talking Transformation podcast. And today you're going to hear a new voice, uh, a new voice on the podcast being Amal Sali, who has just returned to Cape Town, having spent some time in Durban. And she's been involved with the podcast for the last couple of months, helping out behind the scenes. And today is going to be leading a discussion and hosting the episode where uh, we reflect on the podcast, what the intention of it was, what some of the reflections on the first year uh, have been and where we're hoping to take the uh, conversation in the future. It's a bit of a different episode in as much as I'm on the other side of the questions this time, as opposed to asking them, I'm having to answer some of the, the, the questions that are being posed. I really hope you enjoy the episode and enjoy the reflections on a year of content and speakers and the idea of where we're wanting to take the podcast in the future. There are unfortunately a couple of technical glitches. The Skype line did drop out here and there, so apologies if it's all of a sudden sounds a bit uh, faint or discordant, but the majority of the soundtrack is in place. And I now hand you over to Amal Sali. Okay, so it's just gone six o'clock here in Cape Town, and today we have a very special guest on the show. Hi, Peter, how are you? Amal, I'm very well, thanks. And yourself, how are you keeping? And you arrived safe and sound from Durban, which is great. Yeah, I'm really good, thank you. This sounds very strange to say, but welcome to Talking Transformation. Um, you're obviously usually on the other side of the mic, so it's quite nice to have you in the hot seat today. Let's start right at the beginning, and then can you just talk a little bit about your start in planning and what drew you to the profession, and then maybe just walk us through a little bit of your professional experience since then. Thanks, Amal. And I say it's it's great to be on the as you say on the other side of the mic and uh, an opportunity just to reflect maybe on this first year of the of the of the podcast and uh, the journey that that's been. But my journey as a town planner starts quite quite a number of years ago. My my dad's best friend from university was chief town planner of Ipswich. That's a small market town in Suffolk, uh, East Anglia. Gordon. Uh, his, his friend had a massive sort of impact on me as a teenager. I very much looked up to this this guy as a, a somebody who loved to play hard and work hard. He worked extremely hard. I remember always looking, you know, even after we'd had a great uh, holidays down in Ipswich, he would in the evenings be writing reports, putting things to council. And he had a very particular way about him. And his whole life philosophy was you play hard and you work hard. And, you know, thanks to him, I found myself sort of following him in his professional career as a town planner. It seemed like a really interesting career. He he always knew everybody from the local um, aviator club through to the pretty much every pub in Ipswich, the retailers associations. Given his position as a chief town planner, he was very well connected. And that whole thing of, um, you know, a, a network of people was seemed really really interesting to me uh, because of him I also uh, ended up following the football team which has been a nightmare for me because we had a <laughs> frustration supporting Ipswich Town Football Club 
You know, I'd studied history, sociology, and geography at A-level. That's sort of the matric equivalent there in the United Kingdom. And that allowed me a passage into uh, university and specifically Manchester University, which has one of the leading, still has one of the leading uh, planning schools there. And that was fantastic to go to such a big city like uh, Manchester, uh, coming from my hometown of Sunderland. It was a real move in terms of scale of cities and uh, just a massive experience uh, growing up. After my studies, I had four years there at, in Manchester, which were f- unforgettable, really, really special times. The challenge that I had in many graduates, that will uh, sort of story that will resonate with many of our uh, younger listeners now, is that given the restructuring that had gone on with local government, and particularly through Maggie Thatcher's government's cuts and restructuring of local government, the traditional access into planning jobs, typically enforcement officers and lower level approaches in the municipality had gone. And uh, I had really struggled and many of my colleagues struggled to find a place in the planning profession after after our studies. Over 15 months of being unemployed or doing you know, menial labor work and uh, sweeping the uh, sweeping floors and <laughs> doing all sorts as, as well as working for free working voluntarily for Durham City Council i found myself coming to south africa in 1994 around uh, september 1994 so shortly after the elections and even then it took me 18 months it wasn't until may 1996 that I found myself uh, working in the public sector as a professional planner. And, you know, since then, every every May has been a very special anniversary for me mm. um, and a reminder that, you know, I'm very privileged to be in this space because I remember how difficult it was. And some of the episodes that we've done with some of our younger planners have really, really reminded me and upset me actually around, you know, that, that time. And my, my biggest fear in life remains to be an unemployed mm. person. And uh, I'm just very, very fortunate. Did you have any connection to South Africa? Why did you decide to come here? No, indeed. My, you know, my, my mother was uh, South African. She was uh, Pretoria born and raised, uh, left uh, South Africa in the, in the early 60s. Met my father, who was from uh, born in Calcutta in in India before partition, and uh, they met as teachers in in London. And um, I came along in 1971. So I've always had family <laughs> here in South Africa. My my two aunts, uh, cousins, uh, who were of a very similar age to my sister and I. And yeah, I I came and. My grandfather had passed on, sadly, in 1994, but I came out just after his funeral and, you know, spent spent my first uh, six and a half years living with my aunt in Johannesburg and putting down roots, which became indelible. And, you know, Johannesburg, I always looked at it very much my, my home. I, I think of it as my home even now because I spent 20 years there and I grew up there. I, I was given the opportunity to become a planner there. I... I played football. I played cricket. I did, <laughs> I did everything in Johannesburg, and uh, some of it, some of it probably worth forgetting about. But um, yeah, uh, the, the, the vast majority of it, just an absolute pr- pleasure and privilege. In this, with the city of Johannesburg, uh, with Johannesburg Social Housing Company, and before I came to Cape Town, I'd, I had a short stint with the Housing Development Agency. Each of these, you know, un- unforgettable uh, experiences, and and again, a privilege to to be part of it. Moving, you said, you know, you you grew up in Johannesburg and you really became 
I suppose, and you an adult and a planner at the same time. So could you maybe highlight some of, I suppose, the most like rewarding and then also frustrating parts of being a planner in South Africa, which is, I suppose, where you have your primary experience of the profession? Well, it's a, it's, a, it's a really difficult sort of question to ask. You know, the reward and the frustration, yes. I, you often hear me on the episodes talking about a two-sided coin, and it very mm. much is that, you know. <laughs> the reward is the people you get to work with, the experiences that you have, and the privileged position of being asked to think about things that others in their normal day just go about and experience as opposed to think, well, what does this mean? And what does it mean from a policy or strategy perspective? Um, how can we change things? What what are important small shifts that we can make that might have a big impact? The people, I've met some fantastic people, very intelligent people, some wild and wacky characters. Um, and, you know, I, I, that I think will always be the thing that I will t- take away is that I've had the opportunity to work with some of the very best minds in the country, some of the uh, most experienced. Um, and keeping in mind that, you know, the when I arrived in 1996, the country was going through such a massive transition. Um, and to be the reward of being an outsider, you know, mm. my education in the UK certainly didn't set me up for a conversation on informal settlements or the problem of land invasion as two, two, two examples or of, of exclusion based purely on race, which obviously South Africa still grapples with, but had been a legal statute up until 1994. These were things that I was ill-equipped, but was asked to come into that space and provide, you know, um, guidance. And over a period of time that became more and more sort of senior in its, uh, in, in, in the needs and demands so that's a reward that, yeah, I can never um, uh, never pay back, actually, really. Mm. Um, but on the other side, the enormity of the challenge is, is so a constant worry. I'm often extremely concerned about uh, sort of my own contributions, the choices that have been made and the implications of those choices, recognizing that as a public official, and that's I've only ever served in that space, you can only ever make recommendations. You're never ultimately the decision maker. But it is important that the advice that you give and that the the, um, the proposals that you're putting on the table are important and well thought through, this idea of evidence-based on the one hand, but also gut feel often has a, has a big role to play. So... The frustration is working in, in a public sector all my career where you've had to adapt to red tape and protocol, um, but you have to learn to work with it and not always fight it. I, I do think that from a, this often seems to be cliques within the organizations, within the different even within the planning profession, often are them and us between the public sector and the private sector, um, between land use planners and spatial planners. Uh, between the uh, the academics and the practitioners, you know, there is often so many different. I'm going to say competitive spaces, but uh, I guess competition is is healthy to a point. And I just sometimes do ask myself, have we made the most of um, those opportunities as a collective uh, during this period? And again, that's part of what the podcast was about: was to test, irrespective of your your angle or platform that you're coming from or working within whether you're the most experienced or the least experienced person 
as long as you've got an interest, you're always going to be welcome in this space. And so, yeah, I guess one of my frustrations is we haven't made the most of it. Mm. I do think, and you referred some of the more recent professional pod, or the podcasts on the profession, the questionnaire that I put out a couple of months ago, I would suggest that as a profession, we are, as professional town planners, we're in a crisis mode at the moment. Um, we also seem to, if you want to take an issue-based aspect, uh, something like the inclusionary housing, I think is a really useful illustration of where between the public and the private sector, we still seem to be missing each other on, on this mm. as an issue. I think it was 2005 at the financial charter when that was signed. I mean, that's 15 years ago. And we, you know, Cape Town is still uh, putting out drafts. Um, Johannesburg is down the line. Uh, but certainly from a national point of view, from a provincial point of view, we've never been able. And I've worked in all those spaces, provincial. I've worked in metropolitan and a national space and not been able to deliver on that. And I think that's a massive frustration from from my side. But, you know, uh, as I would often say, it wasn't through a lack of trying. But the podcast, that's been one of, one of the things I'm trying <laughs> to bridge the gap. Uh, have a conversation and, and be celebrate celebrate the wins because I think sometimes we do beat ourselves up too much and forget that there's some really good work that's been done and that's important to reflect on. Yeah, that's actually the perfect segue into kind of the next question and I suppose like the next part of the interview and just kind of, you know, you, you did touch on it a little bit already, you know, talking about celebrating the wins and creating more inclusive spaces for people who are not just in the planning profession to contribute and talk about how, you know, they make spaces or how they see spaces. So could you maybe just give us a little bit more about what prompted you to start Talking Transformation and kind of what you hoped to contribute when you set out and maybe even like what you saw was missing in the space? Again, a really good question, and you know, it takes me back. It was a very, it was a eureka moment. Uh, I was sat, sitting in a, a, a an annual conference in Century City, and just got this idea that uh, the presentations I was I, I, I was listening to and absorbing were all really, really interesting, really engaging material. Uh, and again, direct, I'm going to use that word privilege again. Um, mm. Here I was being asked to attend as part of my work. A, a conference where there was this amazing um, wealth of information. But I was really struck by this. You, know, you have to be fortunate enough to be invited into that space. Uh, and that typically comes with a cost, typically thousands of rand a day for a conference uh, type of material. And that idea of saying, well, how does how do we get to an engagement and uh, sharing platform that goes beyond your ability to pay for or attend? conference at the same time i think we're seeing more and more the way things change certainly before covid you know longer commute times for people in traffic getting to work things like our cell phones have made things like podcasts watching youtube tutorials far more prevalent than it was even sort of five five or ten years ago here in south mm -hmm. africa and it was this idea of saying you know I want to establish a series of conversations. I want to establish an archive of material that, if nothing else, will stand as a reminder to me, to me about people I've worked with, the conversations I've wanted to have, and that anybody else who wants to learn from or listen to that and even disagree with that uh, is very welcome. You know, we still seem to be stuck in, uh, I'm going to say, a post-Zoom of funk 
around, mm. you know, of how you know, the, the, uh, fairly much to despair. And one of the things I want to pick up on is, you know, uh, feeling of absolute, I'm going to say, elation and real excitement around the 2010 World Cup. And I've had to pinch myself so often, 10 years later, to say, am I living in the same country? I know I'm not living in the same city. Mm. You know, I was in Johannesburg for 2010. I'm now in Cape Town. And I'm, and I'm like, how is it possible that we, from that feel-good, and some will say, but the Pete, that's exactly what it was. It was nothing more than the feel-good and nothing changed for, for the majority of our citizens. And I'm saying, well... There are legacy projects, and I'm not talking about the stadiums, that's another conversation. But in terms of some of those bus rapid transit systems, the ones that were established mm. at least in um, Cape Town and Johannesburg, you know, I think those are some of the legacies that uh, at least provided public transportation to parts and in different areas. But again, that's a whole other story. But I'm back to, is it possible that in 10 years we went from uh, such a high to such a, a low and I'm saying it's got to be more than just a moan, right? It's got to be something mm. that is a has uh, as yes, we all need a place to vent. Um, but you know, what is it we we as a collective, the built those people working in built environment? And that's why, you know, I don't care if you're interested, whether you're registered as a professional, or whether you're an advocacy group. It doesn't matter. It's a question of saying, can we have a place where we can come in and have a safe conversation where, um, yes, it will end up going out onto a public into a public space. But I think some of the conversations we had with the professional organisations a couple of uh, months ago, conversations we had with the women in planning, starting to get to some of the key issues um, that we are not, I'm not aware of other platform to, to have some of these discussions. How do we get continuous professional development points if you're a professional? without having to spend thousands of rand or hundreds of hours on other opportunities. I thought that we saw the podcast, I saw the podcast as a great opportunity. SAC plan uh, were, were good enough to recognize and endorse that. It's now a, a certified CPD um, activity, which I think is great. And so the, the, those were some of the, the reasons for sharing, of saying, can we grow a platform for a discussion? Can we have a series of conversations which can stay in, in in the ether, in the web, for people to come back to? And can they become useful reference points for, for people who are studying? Can they be useful uh, reference points for people who are trying to put together policy and strategy? Um, typically, when we've, sp we've spoken to people, it comes with a great deal of uh, gravitas, great deal of experience. And mm. I would argue that many of the people that we've spoken to have got a lot that's worth listening to. And so that's my contribution. Um, President Ramaphosa had said, you know, uh, well, what is it you can do? You know, how, what's your contribution? This is, this, is, this, is, this is my small contribution to, to the profession and to say, well, I think it's a conversation worth having. I have the luxury at this stage of saying, well, these are the conversations I want to have. Um, and we've had them. Um, I, I would like to see, and probably we talk a bit more about that in the later part of the interview, but I would like to see more diversity in um, people saying, I want to hear about these these topics. I think at the moment, um, with the, the, it's more of a one-way uh, street of content being put out, but very limited feedback around, is this helping? Is this making any mm. sense? You know, you were talking about how you wanted, I suppose, to democratize like access to very specific but useful information, you know, that people at, 
a high level had access to and to create this archive of material, you know, both for yourself and for um, a study material or maybe um, reference material of which to build policy. Do you feel like you have been able to meet those aims through doing the show for just over a year now? I'm such a cliche, yes and no. <laughs> yes, yes, the, the fact that we... D- what a planner's answer. Whatever happens from here on in. There you go, hey, we, we, we're very good at sitting on the fence. Huh? And that's probably part of why we're at the situation. But, but I mean, let's be clear. I mean, I'm, I am delighted. I'm, I'm genuinely proud of uh, and humbled by the fact that people have been willing to come for over a year now to have a series of conversations. I think we've put out, what is it, 30 episodes and there's more if you include the bulletins and then the COVID diaries. The fact that people have been willing to give their time mm. uh, and the fact there is an archive of material and particularly if you're interested in human settlements, I think there's a, a really strong thread there around the, the episodes that we try to do on the heart of the matter and uh, the, the housing issue. I thought those are really useful. If you're interested in housing, boy, there's some really good speakers on there and people to listen to. Um, so I'm I'm happy about that. That the fact there is a year's worth of material, some you know, it's, it's over a day's worth of material if you listen to it back to back, and the quality of that, it's been edited in such a way that there's very little fluff in there. What I'm not happy with, and you know, is the degree of debate and arguably the discomfort we've been able to encourage. Um, it's all been a bit safe, you know. I yeah. do have a responsibility as a as a professional, uh, you know, to try and moderate content. And I've very very rarely edited con- any any of the inputs that we received, purely to avoid any legal challenges. That's not what I'm interested in. Is you know dealing with uh, litigation, <laughs> but I do think we we can get a bit more provocative and have a greater impact. The, the fact that we are cost-free mean, and a cost-free means to gain professional points is an achievement and it has impact. But very few people of that, uh, very few people took advantage of that during its first year. I can think probably of no more than 20 people across the country who, during the course of the questionnaire that we ran through the SurveyMonkey platform, actually used that. So I think that's a shame because uh, maybe it, it, it's a shortcoming on my side around making it people aware maybe it's one of the things mm. we should have been encouraging in the the podcast the, the the close of a podcast but you know i also get a sense that maybe it's part of the apathy and we saw that in the the questionnaire response um i think we had a really you know very very good response but in relative terms to the petition that had gone up uh, a fraction of that which just tells me that if you know anything that takes a bit more than a few minutes people get nervous of um, but maybe it was that people weren't aware. I also think that's a shame that some of the platforms, the interactive nature of things like the the voice messaging on the podcast on the anchor podcast platform, nobody's really tell you. I think I've had two messages on that out of all the episodes. And that if we had content and people responding on that platform, we could actually start to include it in the episodes. And again, maybe that's people saying, I don't want to be heard. And I think that goes to this thing of saying, Gee, so we're just all going to be quiet and remain neutral and everything, or are we going to start to stand for something? I think these are some of the challenges that uh, a podcast in its first year, we've done really well. I'm really, really happy with what's been done. I'm so 
grateful to all of our guests who've taken the time to share their perspective and have given time. We don't pay anybody to come onto the um, onto the podcast. They all do it in their own time, out of work hours, and it's it's a it's a real privilege to have been able to engage with them. So certainly many more positives in terms of meeting objectives, which which were not which started off as nothing more than the end of that day of the seminar saying we need a platform i think there's a way of doing it it's going to be podcast based and away we went and here we are a year on just over a year and yeah there's an archive of material nothing nothing more to say so obviously there this has been quite a journey you know you've been doing it in and amongst your professional life and as public servant and so there are lots of things and elements that go creating a podcast and then, you know, from the technical side to the research to uh, finding guests. And so I suppose what I want to know is um, what are some things that you've learned about yourself and then also some of the skills you've gained from doing this podcast for a year? Well, I've learned to edit erms and ars <laughs> by audacity. I must have edited a million of them over the last year. Um, and to edit rain from the soundtrack, that's another one I learned. Uh, that's, yeah, this is, I mean, in all seriousness, seriousness I've learned a, a great deal. And, you know, it's it's been a reminder of how to do things uh, quickly and to mm. adapt on the hoof, you know, um, how to research, prepare, execute a conversation and then to edit and package it and ultimately market it and you know i think most people who are familiar with the podcast would know we've got a, a small but growing twitter presence um, we use linkedin through my own linkedin profile the marketing needs a bit of a bit of thought and, and effort there because i'm not a marketer i'm a planner so you know, i'm still learning a lot on a, an episode to episode but it's reminded me that you don't have to be an expert on a topic to have an informed and solid conversation as long as you've done your preparation, you know, and each episode has been researched. And at times we've pulled in extra capacity. We've had Kathy Stone as an example, uh, as one of our fellow guest presenters on this or hosts. But I think as the confidence that I've had has grown and the ability to have these conversations and to say, you know, we're growing in numbers. I think we're up to six and a half thousand people have listened to the episodes uh, at this point. My ambition has sort of also grown, and there are certain things like the the future cast in right at the beginning of the year in January. Um, that was a massive logistical undertaking, required partnerships with uh, uh, architects, planners, engineers, um, and surveyors society. Uh, set up there in Hout, uh, Hout Street in Cape Town, a live audience of 60 people. To have done that within the first sort of six months or seven months of the, ep- of the podcast was a real learning curve, uh, logistically as much as anything else. Uh, and then, of course, with the, the, the future planning episode, which required you know a, a whole preparation of the questionnaire, engagements with a whole diversity of professional bodies, with people at the beginning of their career and at the right the the back end of it, and so that took a lot of effort. And I I think those are some of the the, the confidence, the skills, mm. and the learning that that's come from it. And this is recognition that again, people are typically very happy to give their time. 
as long as it's it's structured uh, in, a, in an appropriate fashion, it's not going to be a wasted effort. I think none of us wants our time wasted. And that there's a, uh, what we've tried to do as the year has gone on, I think we've built a degree of trust, a degree of credibility in the content that we're not out to get anybody. We're not out to... Uh, we're not out on one crusade. We're out about having a conversation, an open conversation about spatial transformation in South Africa. I'm sure that's the tagline. And we remain committed to that. The other thing, just from a skills point of view, is, you know, I think that, you know, the podcast has encouraged me to take up this formal learning for the first time in 25 years. And I doubt that would have come about had it not been for the the diversity and the desire that's been yeah. fueled by the guests and the complexity of the issues that we've looked at, it's just like, I really need to go back to get a re, an academic basis for some of these conversations. So very, very exciting. So just kind of picking up on what you mentioned earlier, you know, talking about how you, you don't have to be an expert to engage in any conversation. You just kind of have to be open to it. So you, you've had quite a number of shows now, including um, the COVID diaries. Is there any show that like stands out to you or any theme that surprised you the most during the course of the year? Uh... I mean, each episode has been fantastic. It mm. really, really have, have have enjoyed some more than others in in, in the prep. <laughs> um, I, I certainly remember one of the most one of the earlier ones with Yana El Hor, who had had that was really an anomaly. Uh, Yana worked for the World Bank and was here in an engagement that the City of Cape Town and the World Bank were working with. So all of the guests up to that point and for for much of what would follow were people I, I knew well enough to approach. Yana, I met on the day and said, wow, you've got an amazing story to tell, particularly around peacekeeping and healing in communities. And really, very, very that was a very special episode. It's one I still go back to uh, as a reminder of uh, an external perspective on a very real issue around um, violence in communities. It was a really difficult time and uh, a very special episode. Um, so it was less about the surprise uh, as much as the value. The one that probably surprised me the most and really showed me up <laughs> in my own ignorance, and if anyone's listened to it, um, uh, it was on the food it was a food economy. Uh, it was a fantastic discussion with two real young, young guns who were uh, really making um, noise around the issue. Uh, Robin and Alison uh, on that uh, episode really... Took, nobody didn't, they didn't take me to task. They just showed how much <laughs> little I knew about the subject that really, in all seriousness, I should know a lot more about, uh, given the, the the work that I do. Um, so that that whole issue around food, the food economy, was absolutely fascinating and was a surprise because, yeah, I thought I knew it, you know what it was about more. I kept saying, "Is it about more roof gardens?" And it was like, "No, it's not about that." <laughs> <laughs> it was this constant reminder that man. You really like you. You just have got such a not a proper understanding of this issue. That was a really surprising one. The COVID diaries were really engaging and fascinating because of the immediacy of the issue. Again, the ability to reach out. I suddenly realised, you know, I had people that I knew and were trusted friends and colleagues, ex-colleagues, and people I was meeting because of the COVID issue. And to start having a series of conversations on a more regular basis, it it just opened up the world. Because up until that point, a lot of our episodes had been very much South African focused, and I think for good reason. 
Um, there are many podcasts about different issues, uh, about urbanization, urbanization and urban issues all over. Plenty of them, YouTube, millions of, of pieces, but very little about South Africa. Um, and certainly not done by South Africans for South Africans. We often get people coming in, taking from us and going and writing it up in thick academical, uh, academic speak. And um, the COVID thing brought a more global perspective and it reminded us that, or reminded me, that we have a voice. We need to be able to engage and ask for ideas and help on a more routine basis. And again, reminded that people have a massive capacity to share and engage. If you give them that opportunity, you know, I was asking people, do you want to come into this space? So there were a handful of people who said no because of their own uh, lockdown issues that they were experiencing. Uh, they just didn't have they just didn't have the confidence and the time to go into that. I completely understood that. But others, you know, uh, were, were, we had a very interesting and diverse set of perspectives from New York to uh, London to uh, Bucharest to Hong Kong. I mean, we, 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 we covered some miles there. That was that was really really great, and so again, less a surprise than it was the 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 reminder of how dynamic these things can be, and it'll be interesting to go back and listen to those in five years' time, in ten years' time, as a reminder of this moment. Yeah, I'm sure that those are very interesting, you know, archival pieces and what those say about the moment that we're in. I'm sure in a decade's time will be. It would be very interesting to go back and kind of dig, I suppose, scratch your way around those and try to make sense yeah, of this absolutely. time. You know, you you were talking about the food, like the food economy issue, and th- throughout the show, you've had incredibly um, diverse guests, and often they've been outside of planning and sometimes even like outside of the urbanism profession. So you know, kind of taking um, that into account and also what you said, the mission of the podcast is, you know, to democratize the conversation around these issues. And people do seem to understand that there needs to be a collaborative approach. But in practice, what do you think hinders like this collaboration? Wow. How, how long have you got, Amal? <laughs> <laughs> it's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a really, really tough question. I mean, we, we certainly as planners, we always talk a good game, certainly in relation to this idea of transversal processes, you know, the idea that we can, you know, bring different sectors together. And that is what our job is as planners. That's certainly from how I have always understood is that sort of the arbiter of urban change. We are here to structure and try and make sense of competing agendas, whether it's transportation versus housing, whether it's housing and social facilities, whether it's land needs of um, different uh, different departments. You know, these are these are the challenges that we routinely face. And whilst at the same time putting down a very clear public message around the intent and vision, at the same time making it relevant to uh, the private sector that's ultimately the investor and a public sector that spends billions of rands in infrastructure in in, uh, for example, the city of Cape Town on, on an annual basis. So somewhere we do, I think, seem to miss each other. And it's something that through all of the words that we've used in the past, whether it was integration, whether it's sustainability and more recently resilience, these are all things that bring in different people, but they always seem to end up in a particular product or a particular output. I think that's where we get lost. We get we get fixated on the on on the end goal of a product, which is important, as opposed to the outcome and what is what well, how is that measured, 
and often that takes a lot longer and a lot more maturity in the discussion. So that would be one of my takes on a very, very difficult uh, question. But again, are we prepared to to nail our colors to the mast? And are we safe? Is it safe to do that? Or is it that within our own workspaces, within our own uh, collective groups, it's difficult to nail your colors or have a diversity of views or be able to change your mind and say, okay, you know what, you've actually persuaded me. I think often we get fixated on one approach and we follow that um, with, you know, and, and, until we realize often too late that there was another opportunity. So, yeah, um, these are some of the challenges I think we're facing. Just, you know, kind of taking a step back and moving from moving like away from the show. And this is obviously to for lack of a better word and probably the most overused word of 2020 These are you know, unprecedented times and it is a very difficult time for the planning profession and I think for young graduates like in particular and you've had um, you've had shows with young graduates and you also kind of you shared your story of being a young graduate at the beginning of the show. Do you have any advice for, you know, young graduates who feel kind of discouraged and I suppose a bit like disillusioned with things at the moment in, indeed i mean how, how do you uh, give words of comfort or, or advice to 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 the people who are graduating right now and are facing very depressed job market there are jobs there and there are and i know of even um people who've been on our podcast in recent months who have managed to find employment and there are some happy stories uh, that we need to keep in mind but i am mm-hmm. very concerned more generally about where where we're going um you know people are losing jobs we saw that through the uh, the planning uh, future questionnaire um and it was clear that there was more to come uh, even that in relative terms, there had been not so many job losses in the percentage terms, but that people were saying, yeah, they, they foresee that there will be uh, future job losses. And we know that some of the biggest uh, planning companies in the country have had to let some of their youngest professionals go. So this is a real, real challenge. And uh, I'm, I'm not in it close enough to call it a crisis yet, but I certainly get a sense that um, it's a real, real uh, challenge. And you know, I've been part of that decades ago elsewhere in the world. And I know what it means to have to say, well, I'm actually going to physically move continent to look for um, that job opportunity. And, you know, here I am almost uh, two and a half decades later. Very fortunate. But, you know, we know we've got a massive problem in terms of a brain drain of graduate uh, talent of professional talent, particularly experience that's leaving the, the country. These are huge worries for, for us. They should be being addressed. And my fear is that from a professional sort of organization point of view, uh, at a time when planners are most needed, we seem to be very, very quiet and disorganized. And that really was, this is not just a, uh, a rant. It is born out of the episode that we did on specifically this, it's born out of the responses that came to the, uh, the, prof- the, the the questionnaire that we put out. If you've listened to, if anyone is listening to this and hasn't listened to the Royal Town Planning Institute episode with Sue Manns, the president for 2020 of the Royal Town Planning Institute or RTPI, I really do suggest that you go and listen to it because there you'll get a sense of what can be done. You know, it takes an organization and leadership 
you know, they've got apprenticeship schemes, they've got youth programs. Uh, at the same time here, we're cutting our internship programs across a number of the metros. This is not good news uh, for the built environment, for young graduates or professionals. I'm extremely worried about it. So yeah, these the, the my advice is you've got to keep going and you've got to keep yourself sharp. You've got to keep yourself relevant. There are so many different learning opportunities now. Certainly, I would argue more so than in that period when I came out, when you know it was either going back to the library and, and studying <laughs> with books. Now there is just so many different ways of doing it, of keeping yourself fresh and online. I think one of the things we've seen has been the uh, many of the academic institutions across the world who have been prepared, particularly during those early days of lockdown, to offer different courses online for free in many instances. And I think, again, if you're struggling, uh, go and look out, find those opportunities. Keep yourself relevant. Keep upskilling yourself in the meantime. Find somebody who can help you from a mentoring point of view there are there there in the WIPSA, the Women in Planning South Africa. You recall the mentorship program that wasn't just for the young female graduates, but was an open invitation. So again, people should be looking to those opportunities to have somebody who can be a whisperer to help them, even in terms of the preparation of a job application, a covering letter. Those are things that will tip the balance. I know that because I've I've dealt with it for for two decades. So people need to keep themselves sharp. They need to keep themselves relevant. And as best as possible, they've got to keep themselves positive. And that's very easy to say. But I do say it coming from a position where I know what it's like to be on the on the wrong side of that. Um, and speaking of keeping yourself sharp, you have achieved great success in your career, but you've recently um, gone back to do your master's. And you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier and how this podcast was um, the catalyst for you to um, go back to school, as you said. Um, <laughs> could you tell us a little bit more about your program and also why at this stage in your career you decided to go back to the books, as it were? Well, you know, I suppose success is, is always relative. Um, I, I, I use the word privilege to have spent that time in, in public service. And there's been a degree of, I guess, success for myself in terms of where I've managed to get to and um, the, the, the places I've worked and the people I've worked with. I really think it is time to expand my horizons. I've been reluctant to do it until this point, till the last 18 months. And now it's been this burning desire to, to look for a research base. And if that hadn't been with a local institution, be it WITS or UCT, uh, I managed to to find my way onto the London School of Economics course, executive master's in, in cities. So again, very appropriate to the work I do and the podcasting that I, I like to do as a hobby. And so I'm, I'm, I'm basically in a virtual space and back in the city I was born, which is London. So Hopefully in the new year, get a chance to travel still if travel arrangements do change. But in the meantime, it's just been an absolute privilege to to engage with people from as far afield as Lahore, uh, Ontario, uh, Bogota, uh, Australia, Sydney has been part of these discussions and, 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 and cohort of the class. So, yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. It's been a real privilege and just really looking forward to trying to see if there's not content within that to capture and bring into the Talking Transformation podcast space. 
Yeah, that sounds amazing. And I hope that you, you know, you keep us updated and hopefully we can hear from some of your classmates because from what I've heard, they sound like a very fascinating group of people with such a diverse background. And I suppose, especially at this time, you know, when we're kind of craving connection more than ever, I think it would be very helpful to listen, to hear even more diverse stories than the ones you've already covered. Uh, looking ahead, what what's in store for Talking Transformation? Oh, more more from leaders in their field from around the world, more from the youth, more from advocacy groups, and I would certainly hope more from the listeners. I, and I recognise it may well be a quiet year because of the studies, but we're going to talk uh, just now about your involvement with the podcast and how we are wanting to keep that going um, during this period. Clearly, if, if we're going to look at potentially a reduced number of uh, episodes, then the quality of the conversations becomes important. I'm hopeful that other initiatives and partnerships come into being in the coming few months, and we're busy discussing at least two optional partnerships at this stage. So there is interest and people are wanting to get involved in different ways. There's also the World Cities uh, on the 31st of October and the planning World Planning Day on the November the 6th, so all within a week of each other. And so those two events, I think, we'll be looking to engage both within South African context as well as beyond our uh, national borders to, uh, to look at that. I, I would like to see more of the do-it-yourself Zoom and Skype conversations published between colleagues or between professional bodies and across the disciplines, I think I think that's been one of the things I've noticed about certainly the UK is on a daily basis there's new content, there's conversations that have been posted. It doesn't come with any fancy editing, music or anything like that. It's just the conversation you listen and you either agree or disagree. But I think that is where we need to be going. We need to fear less and engage more. The propositions and approaches need to find their way into the narrative and ultimately within different policy spaces, whether it's within an advocacy space, whether it's within uh, a public space or whether it's shaping private or corporate corporate thinking. I think these are some of the things that we need to be trying to land these ideas within. And I'd also, I guess I'd also like to see some of the interviews um, turned into some sort of a publication so that you know those who prefer to read do it that way who are less sort of technical in terms of podcasting and or apps and so forth that can play the podcasts are able to to take part and i've mentioned already the idea of the 2010 world cup um dr dean allen is somebody i've made contact with over the last couple of uh, weeks and months esteemed historian who also was involved in a lot of the review of the legacy of the 2010 World Cup. And so I'm really looking forward to hearing his take. I've already listened to one of his uh, uh, virtual engagements and he's got lots to say and a very, very interesting and powerful way of presenting that. So it'd be interesting to hear somebody's perspective 10 years on around what was that legacy of 2010. Where can people get hold of you and learn more about you and the podcast? So you can find me on the the LinkedIn uh, platform. So that's uh, is Peter Ahmad. That's uh, A-H-M-A-D as opposed to M-E-D, which often people get uh, misspelled. And the Twitter platform is Talking Transfo and the number one. That's the, 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 the platform that we enjoy there. And uh, you can always engage with us through that perspective 
I guess the one thing that we haven't talked about is your involvement and maybe just a quick introduction to yourself, Amal. Uh, perhaps you can tell the listeners about your interest in the podcast, your 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 academic background as well as your your work uh, is almost the ideal match for, for working uh, with us here at the Talking Transformation podcast. Maybe tell us a bit about yourself and your recent move from Durban across to Cape Town. I am originally from Cape Town. And um, I have a degree in journalism and politics, and I also completed my master's in city planning from UCT last year. And currently I'm working as a writer and a copy editor for a podcast company. And Pete and I kind of had a serendipitous encounter on LinkedIn <laughs> And yeah, the podcast has been a good merge of my two skill sets, um, having come from a journalism background and then also doing this exact kind of work right now. Um, also, obviously, my interest with urbanism generally. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to, to working with you, Amal. It's going to be great. And I say that that background in CV reads really <laughs> could, couldn't be a better match for, for what we're trying to achieve here. So welcome on board and thank you very much for for having this idea to at least reflect on the year. You know, my role is often to take a very back seat in the discussion and um, this has been really interesting. And thank you for suggesting it and allowing me to reflect on on the year. It's been an absolute privilege and I'm really looking forward to what comes. An open invitation again to any of the listeners is that the same way that Amal took up the initiative or made the approach and said, can I get involved? Anybody is welcome to be involved in the Talking Transformation podcast. There will come a time when I will walk away, but only when it's in good hands for the next uh, the next generation to take it to where it needs to go and to grow it further. So there's an open invitation that anybody is interested. It's LinkedIn, I say, at Peter Ahmed or the uh, at Talking Transfer on the number one. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Talking Transformation. Forward to having you join us for some of the future discussions that we hope to have. Please don't hesitate to get in touch. Amal, thanks so much. Really appreciate you being part of this. And thanks thanks for the for hosting the show tonight. All the very best and welcome back to Cape Town. Thanks so much, Pete. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Talking Transformation podcast. Please engage with us and let us know your thoughts on this episode. You can do so via the Anchor podcast platform. There's a voice message function available via the app. You can also follow us on Twitter via Talking Transfo and the number one. So Talking Transfo one. Our theme music is kindly made available by Tribal Need. Find out about the music, the street art shows here in Cape Town and Europe via tribalneed.com.